And I'm Carrie. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crack. This is episode number 76, and our book is The Next Dawn of... Dawn of Fire? I almost said Dawn of War. Wrong thing. <laughs> Throne of Light by Gee Haley. The book is the continuing exploits of the Indominus campaign, this time featuring again Fabian and Lucerne. We posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our conversation via YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Vox channel. Spoiler alert! If you haven't yet read this book, definitely go check it out and then come back to this video as we'll be talking about it from start to finish in great detail. And there are a couple minor little spoilery things here and there. With that, let's dive in. Did you like the book? I liked parts of it. Does that count? Same. Um, I really liked some parts and I really didn't like other parts. You know, we were joking with a friend earlier about what this book was like, and we made some comments, and he was like, oh, so it's like Moby Dick? And I was like, what? And I'm like, you know what? It kind of was. Because if you've ever had the pleasure of reading Moby Dick for your English class, you know that to get the plot, you need the first, I'll be generous and say the first three chapters. There's like two chapters in the middle, and then the last three. And that's the plot. Everything else is Ishmael's observations about crap, basically. Um, basically, Herman Melville, you know, he like everybody else at that at that uh, time, got paid by the word, and he made sure that he got he got his money for us. I'll put it that way. Uh, probably worse than Dickens in that way. At least in Dickens novels, there yes. was like a plot. There was a plot that actually kind of moved along, except for Great Expectations. Most of it actually had like yeah. a plot that that moved along. But regardless. Ooh, sorry. That's what this felt like to me was some pieces moved and then there was a lot of, okay. And like to quote Stephen King, like you always quote, like someone forgot to trim the darlings. It also to quote Stephen King, um, this is all very important to understanding what's going on in the Indominus Crusade, but do you have to bore the hell out of me with it? It, I might like that quote. Yeah, it, it. If you've ever read on writing, he talks about his wife editing his work, and he, she's like, I don't like this section, and he's like, Oh, it's very vital to the character development, and he's trying to defend it, and she goes, Do you have to bore the hell out of me with it? And he's like, Wasn't that <laughs> the room. stand? Oh my god, yes, she needed to edit that book. Um, here's a reason they made an abridged version. Um. Honestly, and this kills me to say this because I love Gee Haley, this book would have been much better served as a novella at longest. Again, really... like Moby Dick, a few chapters in the beginning, a couple in the middle, and a few in the end. It could have been more of like a a list of events that... It, <sighs> I... I really struggled with this book because so much of it, I'm like, that's real neato. But what does it, what does it mean? Like what? You know, and I was looking through some of my notes of the first three Dawn of Fire books and I kind of feel that way with all of them. Like I haven't really enjoyed any of them. Like, like there are moments and there are pieces of them that I really 
enjoyed or that was like oh that was that was kind of important or that's or well that's kind of neat to see that um but as a whole like not really um i think i'm with you there this feels uh... like so we already know this is padding right because of when dark imperium takes place so this feels we know it's padding but does it have to feel like padding yes and that is very very accurate and the other problem is that because of that um and you and i had talked a little about this before but like in the beginning he sends fabian off and he's like oh you're going to imperium nihilus it's going to be very dangerous like don't know if i'm ever gonna see you again yeah you're gonna we know because we read dark imperium right like it it takes away so much of the sense of danger and so much of the sense of foreboding that the series is trying to capture and that's not a knock on Guy Haley, Andy Clark, or Gav Thorpe. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. I mean, this is the tools that they were given to work with that Black Library slash Games Workshop decided that we need to go back in time and we need to show the Indominus Crusade rather than having it be a footnote. And I'm going to be really honest. I think this is almost, we're almost in Song of Ice and Fire territory here. And if you don't know huh. what I mean. Well, so for people who aren't super familiar with the the source material for the Game of Thrones. Um, Robert's rebellion is never detailed. And it's actually really a brilliant move from George R.R. R. Martin because it means that in all the first three books, he can say whatever the heck he wants to say happened. He can have characters be like, do you remember that one time in Robert's rebellion? And everyone goes, I do remember that time because we didn't see Robert's rebellion. Mm-hmm. The reason that he's never going to finish that series and that books four and five sucked so hard was because originally he was going to jump the series five years ahead. And I understand why he made the decision not to do that. But it now means that he has to account for every minute of that five year time period. And when he gets to the sixth book, he can't be like, hey, do you remember that one time that this happened? And that couldn't have happened because we saw what was going on during that time. I feel like this is what this is, is that rather than just having the Indominus Crusade be a thing that they could just draw back on and be like, remember that one time during the Indominus Crusade? And everyone would be like, no, tell me more. Which, you know, that's what they, but I actually kind of reread the opening, the first couple of chapters, not not the prologue. Ugh, I'm all tangled up here. Not the prologue, but the first couple of chapters in Dark Imperium, the first book. Where it's the summary of what's, what's happened in the last 100 years where all of this is laid out so so this feels like okay but now we're going to explain how all this was laid out and i'm like but i like how it was put in dark imperium so well like i don't need the minute details of how the historians came up because all that was important as you said in dark imperium was he wanted to find out what the hell's been going on last 10,000 years or 8,000 years. And so he created this, you know, historator group. And he talked about how he got into odds with um, the Inquisition, which we're like, oh, of course, makes sense to us. You know, and he talked about the Indominus Crusade, what the purpose of it was. Mm-hmm. We didn't really need the, the minute details of anything. No, we really did not. You know, and the, if I, one of the nice things I can say about this book is that, okay, so I got to see, you know, kind of how Yusili came in, especially with the word bearers and all that. But with the word bearers being in this and with Yusili being a part of that, it feels very George Lucas 
to me, which is why I always go to. And it's just like, see, see, see that thing I referenced. I know what I was doing all along. Okay, when she brings him, when she brings him the Letitia Divinatus at the end. Okay, cool. So now we see like where she came from, how she moved up. But did we really need to know that? Not really. Not really. I could have, I made a lot of inferences and you know, I was good with that. And something that you hated about the Horus Heresy and something that I've been kind of experiencing with the Horus Heresy while reading it was that there's a lot of details about things that, or is it really that important? Like my first experience of that was book eight, Battle for the Abyss, which my comment when I wrote about that book was, if there was a battle and everybody died and no one lived to tell the tale, is it really that important to tell, to tell the story? Because you know what? Some of the stuff in this book, or actually not in just in this book, but in a lot of the Dawn of the Fire Fire books, it's like, you know what? This isn't ref- None of these people are around for Dark Imperium, so I know I don't really have to care about them. And second off, like, do I care? Like, none of this matters. Like, do I care about it? And I'm not. I'm not. We're going to talk a lot more about this later, but there's a lot of characters in this book that I'm just not that emotionally invested in. And my other big complaint comes with, and I know I've said this, well, for Carrie at least, I'm going to sound like a broken record because I keep saying this, but this is my other new for you all. Um, So book one kind of sets everything up, right? Oh, yeah, like this is all that's going on. And here's the the revelation of the Primaris and woo. Okay, great. The second book is kind of like, yep, that happened anyways. Now we're on this other planet and this stuff is happening. Oh my God, here's a big bad. Okay, great. Book three then comes along and it feels like books one and two are telling a story. And then three comes out and is like, remember that one time? This base wolves? Oh my God. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, that's okay. This is a little jarring, but okay, great. So now we're over here. Well, then this book picks up right after the events of book two. So it makes book three feel like we're all in the Bahamas which is a series of islands but then all of a sudden Jamaica came in to see what we were doing I'm gonna have to actually read out loud what you wrote when we were discussing this oh no because I loved it so book one, they get to the airport and check into their flight. Book two, they're mid-air and on their flight. Book three, they tell a story about that one time they had lunch with a co-worker and oh my god, you won't believe what happened. Then book four starts with them landing and ends with them getting their baggage. But there was a super rude guy at the baggage claim who may or may not have tried to steal their suitcase. Like, I, like, I, that was perfect. Like, that was just such a perfect summary of these first four books. It made book three feel so jarring. And I know that I, I, I'm on record as hating that book, but like, it just makes it feel so jarring because I'm like, but what did that have to do with the price of tea in China? You know what I'm and- thinking? The more I think about it, but book three. So in the world of comic books, you know how <laughs> you know how comics in my Warhammer. Too late. Abnet's here. Um <laughs> So, you know, like in your reading, especially the DC and Marvel superhero comics, you're reading them. And then there's that annual that often has this random story that may or may not have any relevance on what's actually going on in the main story. But then two years later, that gets referenced. I present Wolf Time. I hate you so much right now. It's so accurate. Um. Yes, and I fully expect that, like, book four or or book five or six or seven will suddenly be like, hey, do you remember the third book? And we'll be like, 
yeah, I remember that third book, finally. Like, it's just one of those things where I'm like, the narrative feels so weird. And we'll talk a lot more about that because there's a specific thing in this book that I'm like, again? I... I don't know how I feel about the Sauna Fire series. I think overall it's moving at a snail's pace. The book, this book, similar to Gate of Bones, actually read very fast. Yes. It was a very breezy read. But I think oddly it's because the story is moving at such a glacial pace. As I said, like they land at the airport, 400 pages for them to get their baggage. Like that's, that's, that's the equivalency here. Yeah. Of like, ah. Let's start with it. Classic. Actually, reminds me of the Wheel of Time series. Oh God! Y- you know what? I Four hate- to five hundred pages of really not what much happens. At least yeah. they didn't talk it- about food and what they ate in this one or as what much. They wore. Yeah. That's- well, except for Yang, they did go into an oddly detailed of what Yang was wearing, um, or not wearing, and Tenebrous. They- we'll get there in a minute. Um, what stood out to you? Well, a lot of things actually stood out to me. I actually had a lot of fun taking a lot of notes because things like cracked me up. Like, I'm really curious, like, what heresy economics is. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. Like, okay, I, I do gotta, I do, I do ha- have to have to know what, what that means. Um, so I did love this one description of Corferum because it's actually how I've always pictured him. But like, like that. I the dark I carnal was think. as dry and desiccated as a mummy laid to rest for a thousand years or more, awakened at the appointed time. <laughs> that's amazing because that's uh, that because in all the art of Corfair, and he's always looked old. So I've always and he's not a true adeptus Astartes either. So I always kind of wondered like how he's still been around. But I guess when you make literal deals with the devil, right? You, you can uh. You can stay alive, but just enough. Oh man, the um, the exposition on the uh, Inquisition, like like this one, uh, Inquisitors scared him. I think this is Fabian talking. Inquisitors scared him because they were fully human and therefore fully flawed, and would exercise their power with complete unwavering conviction right or wrong it's like you know i can't disagree and especially later when when rostov is like seriously wounded and he's thinking back on his life because he might die and he talks about all the things that he's done and i highlighted where he mentioned that he has tortured innocence in the name of the emperor and he's proud of it no regrets i'm like you are a monster an absolute monster and the fact like he even when he's doing his questioning to people who are 100% innocent and don't know what he's talking about he doesn't care he doesn't care got if you want to make an omelet you got to break some eggs I was gonna say he has bought into the omelets and eggs and look I think it's a coping mechanism I think with again to Fabian's quote with that much power and we'll get more into Rostov in a minute but yeah I mean, it's just, and I almost wonder if he's like this to cover up his own serious problem here that he's a member of the Ordo Xenos who's working with Xenos. We'll end up talking about that. I mean, yeah. You know, but again, so it's just a giant 
well of insight in this book i felt like fabian actually had a lot to add in it's, terms of like thoughts on people yeah i mean there, yes there there is um yeah there definitely that but you know and i think you know one thing one of our viewers commented on and it's really stuck with me it's uh where he says he feels like every book is to explain like one part of lore and move on like and he was saying i think it was um oh it was that war that horror uh bookkeeper skull is it yeah he's like it's where rocks comes on well you know like uh the last horus heresy book i read no no fear where why the reason why sergeants wear red helmets that's explained in there and that's the first like well that's that's that little tidbit is right and as the purpose of this book was to explain the red helmets and i feel like this one was to explain why the logos logos however you want to pronounce it and the inquisition were butting heads even though i'm not sure we needed that because that's I keep coming back to is that you could have just told me they were butting heads because well that's to me obvious secrets logos likes to tell secrets well i mean and that's actual that's a literal quote i highlighted that exactly but like i didn't need to see that Where you can just that? tell me there is yeah. some things you can just tell me the inquisition sought to hide knowledge the logos i'm gonna say logos gotta got do the greek pronunciation the logos to illuminate it but that to me is so obvious. Like you don't need to spell that out for me. And even if that wasn't obvious, it was mentioned in the Dark Imperium. And when it was mentioned, I was like, well, of course. It makes total sense. It does. You know, unless this whole thing is leading up to Gulliman and Corfarin round two fight, you know, after no no fear, I I don't care. Tell you so the two things that really stood out to me, in addition to some of like the commentary. Obviously, I loved Fabian and Diomed getting together at the end there. That was, that that was, was so adorable. Finula, great name. Um, I loved that. I thought it was so charming. It was so sweet. It was really funny. It showed Lucerne having a little bit of personality. Like, he clearly understands what's going on here. Oh, yeah. Um, which I loved, right? It was so Because Lucerne's just such a great character in general. But for me, to your earlier point, for me... What this did was basically, to me, one of the big things, the lore things that it tried to do was establish what Corferon is up to. And I feel like to, to, to establish that not all is well in Camelot, which, duh, it's Kaus. Like, of course it's not going to be good. Like, nothing, these people don't like each other and not everybody is on board with Abaddon's plans. And... The word bearers in general don't play well with others. Like especially not Corfera. <laughs> cool. Got it. I uh, I just don't like Corferin as a character. So like that whole part of him, this whole part of the book. I did like some of the descriptions. I did like Tenebris's read of him where he's basically like, yeah, he's just an opportunistic dickhead. Yeah, yeah. And I mean that's that's how he's always been. I was reading it and I'm like, where is the lie though? Like it's ugh. So Let's dive in and talk about, let's start with Lucerne, because we just mentioned Lucerne. What did you make of Lucerne's journey in general? That was really the only thing I was invested in, was uh, finding out what was going on with these Black Templars, because it just was weird. Because to me, I was kind of like, that's not really in the Black Templars' nature 
to go against orders and then to not welcome them and then it was it was odd I was like well something's obviously rotten here in Denmark so I actually was thinking that I don't know that they had um uh you know made some odd deals you know with chaos without realizing it and that may pot that may potentially be true it's so it it's so weird it reminded me a lot of their behavior reminded me a lot of this uh Mephiston um short story that Annandale wrote where basically Mephiston he comes across right I told you I've now I've mentioned this before mm-hmm. but he comes across a former person who knew him as Calisterius and was just like what the hell is wrong with you well they've been missing for a long time so he doesn't really take Mephiston very well and he you know is like you're something's wrong with you you know you're obviously agent of chaos mm-hmm. when it turns out that he's actually been led down this path for for zinch without mm-hmm. realizing it and that's why i was thinking maybe the black Templar was what was going on with them because it was just so weird but at the same time it was also very angels penitent of them which made me really irritated at the same time I, that reminds me of the other part that stood out to me when he summons Iros Fateweaver. <laughs> that scene was wonderful in and of itself. I well, loved the way the heads talked, and I absolutely just, loved when they were like, oh, and by the way, grew you for thinking that you deserve to have me in front of you. Actually, my favorite part of that was Gavimore when he's like, then he knew what it was, what it meant to serve the gods. Like, yeah, that was great. That scene was so great. You reminded me of that. I, so here's the part that I got frustrated with. It was pretty clear what was going on, right? He shows up and they're like, oh yeah, no, we never got those guys. No, we have confirmation that you did get them. No, no, no. Okay, where's your, where's your leader? Oh, he, he was dead, going to save your guys. And then when Lucerne's going through the crypt and he sees the bolter, I was like, okay, yeah, you guys killed him. Like, or I just figured it was the chaplet. I did not figure that they had gone full murder on the Orient mm-hmm. Express on him. He went but, full Ian St. Martin. <laughs> they, they just went full murder on the Orient Express. I, I got that. Okay, like that part, that part I liked. And I was like, oh, okay, that's a little interesting, I guess. But it also, like, it also made me even angrier with about the whole Black Templar thing. Because you're right. Like, these guys are not like the, okay, look. I hated what Gavthorpe did with the Space Wolves, but if, like, had Logan Grimnar been like, okay, we're going to accept the Primaris, and Ragnar Blackmane was like, uh, no, we're not, that would make sense to me because they're kind of an independent, rebellious type of chapter. Anyways, that is that is not the Black Templars. Right. Uh, and when and I did like when Lucerne was like, Helbrecht himself has signed off on this, and yeah, we don't care. Um, yeah. <laughs> can we back up like I had to stop reading it I put the book down and my husband and I both were like no and then like there are so very few chapters okay like so the dark angels wouldn't even go against Azrael. let's be real oh no you get I mean Azrael basically signed off on what was happening on War of Secrets like you get that impression oh yeah 100% was, oh cool cannon fodder love it like like the only one who said no was uh gabriel seth and that's totally within his character but it also wasn't like 
he was saying do it and everyone else is like no because nobody goes against the chapter masters right so that was really weird and again like at that point when he goes to the crypt my husband and i both were like okay so they all fucking killed him but or sorry the, the chaplain killed him but like uh, so then when they finally did the reveal i was like mm -hmm, yeah thanks like we had to wait that long for the thing that we already knew obviously the murder i did not see the whole like we voted on it right that that uh, that shocked me that shocked me and i did i felt so bad for both though when he's just like yeah like i was silent because i'm just a neophyte I, I don't even have my full black carapace yet like i'm i have no position but i love lucerne i love him as a character i could not handle the mm -mm. nope i had to put the book down and like so i literally like i kind of like put my ipad down and i did this with my face y'all if y'all who can't see me like i'm holding my cheekbones with my hands because i couldn't handle it i i couldn't no my husband can verify i was reading it aloud and when they talked about him putting his finger in it i literally dry heaved i was reading it and i just went oh. <laughs> like you can't do that that's not okay which is really hysterical given some of the other stuff that happens in this book well even like that when he talks about me. like he turns and the flap and the flap comes and he's like they can see his teeth and gums okay so in um dark knight uh when i forget the actor's name but when he becomes two-face and he turns to the side uh, and you can see the teeth moving like i can't i can't handle that and i can't mm -mm. well so remember in boardwalk empire every now and then when harrow would take off his mask and you oh yeah 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 uh -huh. <laughs> not a fan not a fan or in breaking uh, bad when that when Gian, um young carlo gets blown up and he comes out and he turns to the side and yeah oh yeah it's like you know what you're just not supposed to see the inner workings of the face <laughs> exactly you were not supposed to um i did like though when lucerne was like not sure if i was a handsome man to begin with right <laughs> that, not now all i could think up. of was garris it's like chick stick scars man mind you most of them are krogan but <laughs> mine and trust me we're digging on you lucerne um <laughs> Even though the fact that his name is a milk. Every time they say his name, I'm like, it's milk. Actually, what I always thought of was actually the city in Switzerland. There's also that. Like, you're neutral. <laughs> That's all I could think of. Decidedly not with this one. Uh, but oh, I'm with I mean, you. He's neutral, really the only milk. character. <laughs> I mean, it all works. Right? Um, to be fair, he kind of looks like if a glass of milk was a human being. I mean, that's kind of all of the Imperial Fists. Blonde. Blonde like their Primarch. Very. Um, With the... Uh, he's really the only The high cheekbones, I'm the flat top hair. I mean, just like Dorne. Pretty much very patrician, but not... Very um, military-style face. Like... Very. Like... You know exactly what I'm talking about. The guys that they just have that face that's just like, you know, you look like you would be in the military with a chin strap. That's just how your face looks. It's just, yeah. Exactly. Um, I will say really quickly that this artwork drives me crazy because she dies after being in the book for like six pages. And you know how much I like my Sisters of Silence. So, okay. Which is, it's most... it's fine that she dies, but then don't put her on the front of the book. Put her on the cover. 
fine that she dies. Although she does take one of those uh, displacer beasts out with her. You know, it's uh, like uh, uh, um, the Fritz Vault of Terra book that has that custodian on there who's in the book like for two pages. That's fair. Uh, so I started with Lucerne because we're both very emotionally invested in him. Were you invested in Fabian's mission, his journey? No. I'd... I gotta say, I really wasn't as happy as I was that he hooked up with Diamed, mostly because they set it up when she's like, you need to work on your seduction techniques. Right. Clearly he did. So that was really fun and rewarding. But overall... No, but I'm also, you know, to be fair, I'm kind of done with him after Godlight. So... Um, that was a big thing that was weighing on me as well. Because the whole time I'm like, you dickhead. And look, like, I was invested in Fabian in the first book. You know, learning how the historians are coming together and mm-hmm. how he kind of got all that. And that was that was all kind of nice. But, you know, it was like another issue with the horse heresy. I don't really care about following the remembrancers on their little journeys either. You know, like, they serve their part and then it's fine when they're not there anymore. Correct. I, I would agree with that 100%. And we will talk a lot more about Fabian later because they're doing something weird with him that I'm not sure I love. But I'm with you in that dark Imperium. Unfortunately, Godblight kept playing in my mind. So every time they're presenting Fabian, I'm like, but I know things. <laughs> I know things. It's, and it's not like the Horus Heresy where there's like this tragedy to it, right? Where you're like, oh... I know things. This is more of... I, I mean, I guess you could argue there. I guess if you squint, there's a bit of tragedy to it. But... Yeah. No, you can't. Because nothing's happened yet. All we know is that he found the record of the Unremembered Empire. That's We don't know what he's going to do with it. True. So, it's not tragic. Rodigus definitely suggested it's going to be problematic but i'm just like well right but but we don't know as long as like we don't know how yet so we don't know how this could possibly be you know a tragic character or or anything like that so um fabian to me felt a little forrest gump holy shit that is the best definition um you're not wrong because he's basically at he is at every important meeting, every important event, every guy knows him now, and everyone's looking for him. But if you think about his journey in this book, start to finish is go get some records off a planet. Right. I He almost, he didn't approach full-blown Mary Sue, but he teetered on there a little bit with the whole Terminator thing. The fact that he outran a termi and like left him on a wild goose chase. And he happens to have the one weapon that can pierce the armor. And the Primaris comes up and is like, I'm sure impressed, son. (laughs) Really? I did like, you could have died there. Well, you know, and when the Inquisitor's like, he has to come too. I was like, but why though? Like, what do you care? Like, why? Yeah, I was like, man... like Man of Steel when has... Zod was like, yes, bring Lois Lane too. But why? Why though? Yeah, like, why is Amy Adams here? All I can hear <laughs> with stuff like that, all I can hear is pitch meeting. Well, but why is he going to go with him? Because I want him to. 
Oh, well then. Oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. Like, But why oh, though? Because okay. the story has to happen. <laughs> I need you to get all the way off my back about this. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that was one of the things where, because my, again, I know I use this a lot, D&D terms a lot, but I was like, writer knowledge, not character knowledge. Because the thing where he's like, we have to have Fabian come along. Why? Do you know what Gulliman knows? Do you know that all of those things were arriving on his desk? Like, do you, is, does everybody have did this? Did an APB go out? I, maybe, maybe, but why would an order? Maybe Rostov's spying on Gulliman. Let's go ahead and dive into Rostov because I feel like a lot of, he's a linchpin to a lot of our conversations here. Do you like Rostov as an inquisitor? No, and I pretty much outlined that already. He's yeah, a horrible human being. It's not just that. It's that you're an Order Xenos Inquisitor, friend. What are you doing here? Other than I'm a psyker and I'm about to become a psyker, which honestly, if we're being real, the fact that he can read people's minds by touching them, how did you fall into the Order Xenos? Is that... That would totally be Hereticus. It would totally be Hereticus, maybe even Malleus. Like, that's the type of thing. Right, because you're going to be a witch hunter. Yeah. I feel like that would have been super useful or like plots against the emperor being able to read people's minds really good i know what you're saying yeah there's also alien cults where that would be a very beneficial thing like hello gene stealers but you know what our our line with gene stealer cults is just kill them i mean so you know go back to eisenhorn and ravener both because they were both very powerful psychers ravener obviously more so and they were in the ordo xenos mm-hmm but they stood and stayed in their lanes with Xenos. I mean, Eisenhorn, okay, yes, he spread out this because his mission, this, he had, Eisenhorn had serious scope creep in his mission. It just kept on changing. And so, you know, that one, it made more sense, but Ravener always stayed in his own lane. I mean, yes, there were some um, incidents with, with Malleus, but he was always going to turn that over to Ordo malleus when that happened he was there investigating this alien drug that was all he he was yeah. really there for yeah a demon happened to come into it but he wasn't seeking that out um it is and he and i know that rostov even tried to address this or he's just like you know i should be be doing this but i'm having these visions well then why don't you go talk to the order hereticus or malleus that's their right job and go the, talk to somebody else or is it because you're a little bit of a glory hound. Well, he is a little bit of a glory hound. I mean, look what he did to that um, astropath. I have to oh. know this, so I don't care if she dies. I have to know this. Okay, well, what about the greater good? Like, you just... You allowed an entire relay to die because you had to get this information. You needed to know this thing entirely. And... And did you even learn what it was? No! You got half no. a vision. It was a waste. Total waste of time. Yeah. You got a vision of a guy on a beach. Is this contact? Did Jodie Foster show up? I... Contact. That... <laughs> Curiously underrated movie. Um, I... That whole thing. I Again, the fact that his whole thing here... Right, which I just, I'm sorry, every time I would see a chapter was one of his, I was just like, ugh, I don't care about 
teeny. Actually, oddly, the only person of his retinue I like is Cheech, and because she's at least funny. Yeah. I don't care about Lacrant. I don't care about Antoniato. Um. I think that was the only people he had with him this time. I think so. But every time I saw it was LeCrant or Rostov, I was like, oh, God. Because, look, this whole, again, going back to the nothing really happens in this book, This his whole journey, he kills all these people, all of this death and destruction, he allows a tire relay, he kills Mr. Sov, right? So that he could get a clearer vision of the vision he was already having of a guy on a beach. That's real neato. Wasn't worth but and I think this comes down to it, I think that's part of why Fabian was kind of waxing sentimental, because to your to his earlier point, these are human beings with human flaws and ultimate power. To yeah, you let Mistress Sov die just to satisfy your own curiosity, and you got nothing for it. Right. Like, this reminds me of back in the day with cable, if you didn't have the pay channels and you would put them on and it would be all staticky or jumpy. Like, oh, then you finally get to see it in the clear version. Hmm, great. Okay, that really did change things. Like, guys, uh, that was a little flustering and I just don't care about him. No, I don't. I, I honestly I thought, just... like, our time with him is over after book two and I was going to be fine with that. Yeah. I mean, he served his purpose. He pulled out the MacGuffin and... Okay. And this book, he doesn't even do that. In this book, he just gets a little bit more information and establishes what we already knew, which is that psychers are popping up left and right and becoming more potent. And oh, hey, him too. Right, I say like, again. Even like when he's talking about really like the know. like the number of witches that they're finding, and they're like, you know, that that's a whole lot. I'm like, but that's not your problem, sir. No, you're supposed to be going and rooting out gene stealers and tau. I mean, if you want this to be your problem, then you need to go and, you know, I don't know what Inquisitors do, file the right paperwork to change Ordo, but... And you have a Xenos on your team, like... I can't get over that. It's funny to me that that bothers you, but Eisenhorn's new BFF being a demon doesn't bother you. That does bother me. It bothers me a lot. I never liked that. Or him using that chaos machine, which was straight up chaos, that didn't bother you as much as this does. But he didn't. He stopped himself. He did. At like at like the last minute. He still did. He's also very clearly corrupt now. That doesn't bother us, but the Xenos what the Xenos does. At least she's funny. Hell. I mean, at le- okay, yes. At, at, least, at least she is funny. I mean, Eisenhorn bothers me in different ways than he than he bothers you. Uh, it's funny to it's I say it's funny to me because it shows me just how much you dislike Rostov. Whereas Eisenhorn, because you like Eisenhorn, like from those possibly, books, possibly. Right? But you know, honestly, like, oh, well, look, I'm book, the same way with a lot of characters. In book two, when the alien shows up, I was like, but but wait, no, that doesn't make any sense. Like I had a problem with it back then, even before like I you know even like knew was like okay that this doesn't make any sense. Um, there's no way an Inquisitor would do this because. What you're doing as the Order Xenos is heresy. I think it goes to speak to his character, though, right? Omelets and eggs, right? And just like Eisenhorn having his BFF demon, I am sure that Rostov has made so many justifications for it. 
oh, it's fine, it's fine because she's really helpful. It's fine, it's fine because she's not like the Tao or the gene stealers where she's actively trying to take over our people, right? Um, oh, it's fine, it's fine. She, she's such a good sharp. She, like, I'm sure in his mind there's a, there's a complete and total justification for it. You know, and I guess, like, you know, someone could work. point out, well, but, you know, Gullum and, and the Eldar, I'm like, okay, so he brought them in to say their piece and he said very strictly, like, we're going to listen to what they have to say. Doesn't mean we have to trust them. That's He is very big on the fact that I don't trust these people. They We currently have a common at goal. Right. But the and enemy I, of my enemy doesn't necessarily make my best friend. And obviously I do owe them something. You know, I owe them, he owes them the benefit of the doubt. But it doesn't mean he's going Absolutely. to trust them with, with anything. No. No, not at all. And especially, you know, with, I mean, good again, but with Dark Imperium, when he mentioned in that very first book about how he went off at the Mechanicus Mm -hmm. for trying to use um, traitor machinery or Xenos machinery, you know, he's just like, no, that's heresy. Yeah. Goddamn Inquisition. But, you know. But I think it it speaks, again, it speaks to the larger problem with the Inquisition. That they dealt with a lot on here. The rules are for everyone else. It's fine if I'm doing it. I. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a second because I I feel like he didn't really get me what I was looking for in this book. Um, how about Enabris and Yang? Do they make good villains? Do you like them? Uh, I mean, to me, he's he's just a uh, typical very typical chaos villain i'm you know yes he makes some interesting insights you know about you know you can't serve it you can't rule it you know blah blah blah. okay well we've heard this before adb says hi he already talked about that um and in in the black legion series that i guess we're never going to finish but um anyway um i mean to me they're just the typical chaos villains is in it for themselves and oh they're not really on Corfarin's side and Corfarin's not really on Abaddon's side okay that's so shocking right well it's not it's I find exactly I found her interesting in that Ooh. she's trying to find where she's supposed to be in all this and that's it do like the fact that they're kind of hinting at without spelling out it ain't easy to be a human among space marines in general mm-hmm. doubly hard to be a human amongst chaos space marines because if the regular adeptus astartes don't really care per se about you um they um the chaos ones especially don't right like and they really do drive that home, right? And I do like the idea that, uh, at the risk of sounding somewhat trite and like girl boss vibes, um, I like the fact that she is a baseline human female in a superhuman male world. And she is trying to carve out her slice of power and her slice of the world. Um, I just hate Tenebris as a character. And not just like, oh, he's such a good villain. Like, I actually loved Hruvok. So happy when Hruvok died, but I loved him. He cracked I me he up. Was, he was hilarious with his displacer beasts because nothing will can they can call them whatever they want. They were displacer beasts with the tentacles and everything. Um, 
I I thought he was super fun. Again, like the word bearers from um, Apocalypse, mm-hmm. they were super fun and interesting. I just don't find Tenebris interesting. Um, that whole thing about like, and maybe it was just because the thing about cutting the tentacles off of his side. I have gagged so much during this podcast tonight. Just that seed, I was like, what's going to me, on? He, honestly, he's just he reminds me just of the very of a very typical sorcerer of chaos. Um, there was really nothing to me, nothing special about him. He was just the run of the mill mm-hmm. sorcerer chaos, um, chaos, chaos sorcerer that's you know trying to get power. We don't really know where his true motives are. I mean, is he even really helping Abaddon or is he helping himself? Well, mm-hmm. okay, well we've read this plot before. Yeah, exactly. I have read this. I have seen this. And I've been down this road. I remember that tree. Exactly. Similar to Rostov, we go through all of this. He unleashes all of his little demons. And really, what do we learn about Tenebris? Nothing. He doesn't like Corferon. And he also gets a clearer vision of the vision he was already kind of seeing. It doesn't even get anything more clear. I mean, it's the same thing. It's like, okay, so there's a beach. Great, there's a beach. There's a child. There's a man. There's a woman. There's a child on the throne. Okay, great. Low-key. Like, I was really waffling with it because I was like, well, they can't reveal what planet it is because then you're going to have to explain why it takes forever and a day to get to this planet, right? But... If they don't reveal where it is, that's going to feel lame, too. And sure enough, they uh, begin and end this book in the exact same place. And um, there's really only one story that gets to pull that trick off and have it play well, and that's Deadpool. It's the only movie where his character arc is a circle. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't really change or grow or anything like that. That's fine. This is the plot. Like, nobody really changes. Like, okay, Tenebris doesn't like Corferon. That lit, get, take a number and get in line, friend. Yeah, right. I, mean. <laughs> I don't like Corferon. Yes, and water is also wet. Spoiler alert. Nobody likes him? Nobody likes Corferon. Like, come on. Like, okay, cool. Um, I mean, he couldn't again, even he couldn't even kill Reboot, right? And he had him, like, on a platter. And it was just like, oh, wait, but, you know, if Erebus can turn Horus... I can easily do this with Reboot because I'm Corferon. Yeah, see, nobody likes you, dude. And you did the same thing here. The exact same thing. The whole, like, I have this, like, on a platter, but because I'm who I am, I'm going to be arrogant about it and fuck up because that's what I do. Yeah. Well, and look, the whole, um, the whole... Thing at the end where he's like, hmm, Cargathar sent you to spy on me. Cargathar's dead, dude. Cargathar. That's all I could think Car-Gathar. of. Cargathar. <laughs> because of Narkazar. Narkazar. <laughs> I will never get tired of that. Oh, way. no, no. Um, but, like, they get to the end of that and they they address that. All, like, we get to the end of that scene and to quote my daughter and the TikToks, that's nice, but did I ask? Like, did, was anybody out there? Because she talked about that earlier in the book where she's like, hmm, I wonder if he knows that Cargathar wanted me to spy on him. Cargathar's dead. Here's what he wanted you to do. Like, he's killed. So, yeah, you're, you're on your own, sweetheart. <laughs> when they addressed that in this book, like at the end, because like, she said that, and I was like, 
okay, that's weird. I don't really caring. But when they got to the end of the book and she's still, and they have to have this big have out about it, was, was anybody, was that nagging at anyone? Was anyone sitting around going, oh, they have not hashed that out yet. I mean, he made a lot of glib comments throughout the book that he knew. And she even pointed it out. He's like, he totally knows. Okay, but now we need it spelled out for us that he totally knows? I mean, what is this, an Ayn Rand novel? That is probably the best description for him. He is glib. Like, everything that comes out of his mouth, right? That is the exact definition for him. But, you're right. He made all these, like, little, like, hmm, comments where even she was like, ooh, he knows. Yeah, okay. Again, I don't need it spelled out for me. I can do some inference here. I have a pretty savvy mind. I've read a few of these books. Um, But that's the only thing I could think of was like, was anybody sitting there going, God, I hope they address that. I want... All right. You know what? I could say that about this entire book. You got me there. All right. I could say that about the entire Dawn of Fire series so far. Let's go into wild theorization time because there's two things. In but here. I don't care. <laughs> it's hard. Fair. Fair. But. And I know what there's happens. Two things in here that are semi interesting. What is the thing with Fabian? They really leaned into this idea that, kind of as you said, that. Forrest Gump. Fabian Gump. Um, in hindsight, I would go back, and even though this book was about as fast paced as Waiting for Godot, um, Fabian Gump would have been a much better variable line. Um, what larger role because I do remember that from the first book right this whole thing of like I have to get my vision I have to get my vision oh yeah that guy Fabian he's gone oh so it's interesting that that's coming back into play which tells me that's going to be something big but as we were talking about earlier with Don with Godblight is his finding the book about the unremembered empire what larger role does Fabian play? And do you think Gilliman's fears are grounded? Well, obviously they are. Um, just because of what Gullman. we saw in Gob- Goblite. Right. Um, you know, and Gulliman even tells Tigarius, like, don't let him in the library. <laughs> we can't trust this guy. So um, obviously this kind of le- leads up to that in a way. Um, and I think Gulliman is very right and just not sure like okay so this could be the emperor at play but it also could be chaos i mean why do we have to assume it's one force when it could have just equally as easily be the other um so like i totally understand that and honestly with fabian especially with what happens at the end of godblight who's to say it really is the emperor's work it could really be i mean because we know that zinch plays the long game we do know that Zinch plays the long game. And here's the thing that I really struggle to get rid of in my mind is that, yes, Zinch plays the long long game. But, okay, how do, other than mind control, because I know that that's a little bit of a part of it, but how do the uh, gene stealers, the patriarch, how did they worm their way into people's hearts? Oh, it's the mini armed emperor. They take that existing right. mm-hmm. 
that existing religious belief, that existing fervor, and they know this is just another version of that, the more pure version of that. And we saw that in... Um, oh, uh, Bloodlines. Bloodlines. Thank you. Um, we saw that in Bloodlines, where... The serpent. This is the old faith. This is the true faith. It's it's building off of stuff. So if you say trying to birth the Kwisat Haderach for chaos, like the perfect way to do that would be to get a whole bunch of willing people by being like, oh yeah, the guy on a throne jumps up, lots of fire well, you like know, it's vague also so what is fabian's job is to write everything down and acquire knowledge well what is mm-hmm. what is zinch like what is oh. zinch like to offer people oh 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 <laughs> what indeed like i mean it's it's within his idiom right i'm not saying that this is necessarily chaos and let's talk a little bit about the star child but that's actually what i love different. about it I love that gulliman pointed that out i do too that he's because like, look. It could be either one, and I'm fine with not knowing. Because, and that's one of those things, and that's one of the things that I always like about the Warhammer 40k universe over most other science fiction universes, is that chaos is insidious. Chaos is not, I mean, it can be a screaming, slithering, eight-foot-tall, muscle-bound man with an axe in front of you. But it could also be that very subtle whisper, right? We saw that in God Blight with Rodigus, right? Just a, ooh, that book, ooh, right? Like where the big part of him knows, mm, I want no part of this because the demon is, der- mm, it does sound very interesting though and I wasn't allowed to read it. That is a little weird, right? It's the Pandora's box argument. Right. Uh, it, that little bit of, and again, it, it is Fully, it could fully be within the emperor, the star child, this such a black, like such a random. We read that, and I was like, "Whoa, that's a thing again." Honestly, when star I read child. that, when I read that, I was just like, "What the fuck is this?" It's Arthur C. Clarke just visit from Space Odyssey two thousand one. I didn't like it then, and I don't like it now. I don't and I don't want to hear. This has been a mechanic for a while. Yeah, Space Odyssey two thousand one was written back in the sixties, so bite me. Um, the book is way better than the movie, by the way. Um, that's uh, that's that's very that bar is. Uh, it's a low bar. I hurdle. I admit that. Um, I admit that it's debatable. Um, but um, no, you're totally right. It, it, it is a concept. But I was like, oh, whoa, that's a weird one. But here's the thing about the Star Child is that it could, again, Agra from the Dark Crystal right don't know maybe something good mm-hmm. maybe something bad this could be the the ticket to the antichrist now it is an interesting thing i actually do like the prophecy concept because i do like the idea that in the indomitus crusade both the imperium and chaos are racing toward a common goal we've got to find this child we've got to figure out who this is are they still looking for that in god blight Dark Imperium? Are they all still right, looking so, for this? So, all right, let's just say, hypothetically, because this was okay. mentioned quite a bit, and they're about that the Emperor is stirring, the Emperor is stirring, the Ananthema is stirring, the Ananthema is stirring. Ooh, That's what the Star ooh, Child is. Ooh. It's the Ananthema. All right, fine. It was already established at the end of Godblight that the Emperor is stirring. I do not need five more books 
pointing out the emperor stirring because we already know that. He yeah. he sent Mortarium to his room without dinner. He set fire to Nurgle's front lawn. I mean, we and know he's stirring. Said, I am coming for you. Yes. So, with them saying there's rumors that the emperor is stirring. I seriously rolled my eyes because I'm like, I'm sorry, we can't we can't focus on this because we already know that from from Godblight. And, and um, you know, this is the whole point of these books is to reiterate again. But it's it, what we went back to earlier. Things that were hinted at are now being spelled out for us, which to me is Yay? boring. I I have to say, yes, I was fine. Like you've told me, hey. The Emperor is stirring. Look at that. He just sent Mortarion to his room without dinner. Boom! Moving on! Because here's the thing, guys. The Indominus Crusade, let's pretend they do find the child. One side or the other finds the child. The Emperor is not awake by the time of God Blight. And let's be real, from a meta perspective, the Emperor is not going to wake up anytime soon. No. Oh, God, no. They're not going to no. go Gullum and Emperor the rest of the Primarchs. Like, I don't even know if they're nope. going to go the rest of the Primarchs. Like, I mean, it's going to move very, very slow, which is it should when you're thinking about this type of major upheaval. And because I know a lot at of people its have core, a strong opinion about that. At its core, this is a tabletop game, correct? Yes. So correct. they can't constantly be changing things too the story fast. And, yeah. They got to keep things going. To, and the reason why is to get people playing. If you keep changing things, yes, you can get, you. oh, we are selling more more models we're selling this for that people are going to get pissed and leave like because no one wants to keep buying like, a whole new rule book every three months right because I mean, they're like, expensive a major <laughs> they are i mean uh, the campaign books alone are expensive much less the rule books and things like that but um right. so yeah so it's 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 not not going to go anywhere um mm -hmm. this is just kind of you know spinning the wheels right now and you know one thing More i one thing i thought of a lot was that so when i read first heretic uh there was an afterword by adb where he talked about how he didn't like the whole idea of the horus heresy because he's like look yeah. it we already know all this stuff we don't need the minute details like star wars mm -hmm. prequels anybody and but he said when he read horus rising by abnet he was like okay i see what we're doing and again, if Horus Heresy had stuck to its original guns, I think it would have been a lot better than how, how it is Great. now. So in ADB, he, he, you know, kind of turned around on that. And I think his reasoning for why it changed was very sound. It made sense. We got to see a different side of Horus. It was really kind of cool to see how Horus was actually a really smart and charismatic guy versus the big bad. Right. And the same thing with Lorgar. How Lorgar mm -hmm. turned. That was very interesting. Whereas the prequels... As much as I have a mad crush on Ewan McGregor and Star Wars, mm -hmm. there was a lot of stuff in the prequels. I was like, but we didn't really need to know all of that stuff. No. There was a lot we really didn't need, need to know. Um, it's Sometimes things are just better to refer to in the past. Like, again, like what you're saying with the Song of Ice and Fire. Um, I feel like Dawn of Fire is more Star Wars prequels and less Horus Heresy. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Well, I don't, you know, my feelings on the Horus Heresy, so I'm kind of a hard one on that one. You know what I mean? Um, like, certain, I totally know what you mean. Like, okay, forget the whole Horus Heresy. Take the first six books 
and then 12, 15, 14, 17, and a couple of others. You know, that that Ooh. set. Uh, totally right, agree. Yeah, right right there. And, and I'm actually a person who doesn't hate the Star Wars prequels. There's parts of it I really, really enjoy. But at the same time, I'm wholly willing to admit that there's a whole lot there that either George Lucas broke his own canon, literally broke his own canon, or did we really need to know that? So, hey, and, exactly and I know that. some people like going into that minutia with the details, with, with prequels, with stuff. You know, uh, no, I've just never been really really one of those people and the same thing like with sequels with things sometimes I just like when a story ends I don't need to know how they go off into the sunset later and really how hard life was for them or this other problem happened exactly you know which is one reason why like I'm not a huge fan of the Star Wars sequels I think they were very well done I appreciate for appreciate them for what they are they're nowhere near obviously the original trilogy is gonna be gonna be my favorite because seriously I was I was actually born two days after my parents went and saw it in the theater and I got to see the other two actually in the theater. So I am very old school with that. They're always going to be, even though as I watch them now, I'm like, oh my God, these things are so corny, but I still love them. The prequels, I feel like filled something that didn't need to be there. And the sequels were like, I really didn't need to know what happens next because I love the way that the Return of the Jedi ended. And I thought it was just a nice little bow. Don't need anything else. Some people do, and that's great. That's why people still write. They'll keep continuing a series when it's long been dead. <laughs> but Jen, you're muted. You've been muted now for a little while. <laughs> I don't even recall hitting that. Anyways, um, I. I don't know. I feel like I kind of agree with you on. I mean, I, I, I definitely agree with you. It is a minutia that we didn't need to go into. The whole star child thing is kind of interesting from a meta perspective. But again, as much as I like the idea, like they're throwing it out there. That's super cool. I, I dig it. I think it's good. But we know it's not going to come to a, a head like anytime soon. Right. Unless they reveal up, oh, they killed the kid. All right, next prophecy, which is very much within the Warhammer 40k universe and within their idiom, right? Right. But I just don't know. I, I obviously we're going to keep reading the books because it, it, we're the Warhammer 40k book club, and this is definitely the new hotness. And look, well, also like I already started with the limited edition collection. I can't stop now. Same. Although I'll um, be really but... upset if I don't get mine, which I still don't have. Oh, yeah, definitely follow up with them again. Oh, I did. I did today. It took me pestering forever to get it. Um, It's absolutely beautiful. I, I have some complaints about the art in this book. Um, I'm trying to find the one of Tenebris. I have a major complaint about it because it doesn't really look like the way they describe Tenebris. The eyes and face kind of do, but... Ew. Yeah, but, like, the hands are all right. Because she talks about how they're like a crustacean. Claws, yeah. They're so long. Um, which... Ew. Mm. Um, That's one thing that kind of made me snicker, was when they ushered yeah. when they ushered Gavimore in, and he sees Tenebris, and he's like, oh, but didn't say that. He sees the mutant in the corner, and he recoils. is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I think I backed the wrong horse. 
right? She wasn't that hot. Um, I do love the art of Arios, even though I don't understand why they're trying to make him happen. Was not interested in any of his chapters either. The, so the one thing I'll say about Arias, why I think that they had him in there was because it was kind of like really emphasizing how much the Primaris have lost their humanity. But we've gotten that in other books. But have you? Have you really? I don't think you have. I mean, because <laughs> obviously we also haven't gotten it that not every single chapter is excited to have the Primaris there. Did you know that? It's never been it's mentioned before. Their Primark that That's never been mentioned in any other book or even any other Gee Haley book. Never once. Yeah. Yeah. There's it, a few things that I'm like, I feel like Hades. I know! I know! I get the concept. <laughs> like, I've got it. flames on the side of my face. Again, uh, it's like, is this Ayn Rand book? I get it. I didn't you got mean- it, Ayn Rand. I didn't need John Galt's speech. I got it. Okay. John Galt's speech, a.k.a. Just in case I was too subtle the rest of this book. Let me beat you upside the head for 35 pages. So the exposition fairies coming in. Um, the yeah. thing is, that whole speech was on a radio show. Do you think people listen to that whole thing? <laughs> After like five minutes, where's the Colgate ad? Where's the um, Colgate ad? <laughs> It, it wouldn't be Colgate. Uh, it'd be Ipana. No, that was the thing. The Colgate, they used to... That's how. That's where uh, Abbott and Costello got one of their big starts, was that Colgate sponsored a radio show. And it was like a variety hour. And they would do like a little advertisement, plus like some jokes or a little story or anecdote or something like that. It was... Colgate's an old company, yo. I know it's an old company, but, but, I, but I just think it would be Ipana because... We don't have those awesome commercials anymore with the brusha, brusha, brusha. Brusha, brusha, brusha. Try the new exactly. Ipana. Exactly. Um, yeah. It, look, it's not Guy Haley. It, it's it's not his finest writing. Um, He's clearly playing for time. It, it feels like at this point, and I know I've said this about the Horus Heresy. I know I've said this about Siege of Terra, but this feels the same way. This is so many of the Siege of Terra books where there's like, maybe 150 200 pages of story here but we're gonna have a 400 page book by god padding it's like they're dickens it's like they're making them all dickens it, do they get paid definitely. by the word i mean no but i think they know that they can sell these for more i'm not trying to be like i'm not trying to be flip or cavalier about this but they are definitely you can sell this for more than you can like sons of selenar in the horror in the siege of terra was not as expensive as say mortis and I don't know that people would be jumping up and down for joy to buy special edition novellas. I would. I would too, but I don't know if everybody... And I, how do we understand their fan base better than they do sometimes? Um, we could say that about most... Valid. ...things. I mean, let's look at the comic book industry. Let's not. I'm just um, saying. So... This one, I'm glad we read it. We'll keep reading these books, but I'm not really enjoying them that much. Do we um, know how many they're supposed to be? I don't, actually. Is there supposed to be like eight or twelve? The books will be in the Dawn of Fire series. 
Donna Fire. Oh, it says that there's already four. I understand that. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, guys. Um, I don't see it off the top of my head, but I mean, I guess, yeah. Donna Fire revealed, maybe? Does it say this? Yeah, okay, here's the re revelation from 2020. Uh, do, 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 do. Oh, God, it just says that, like the Horus Heresy. Okay, I don't know Which if I can handle 54 books of this. Yeah, there's not going to be 54 books of this. Let me go ahead. There's no number on them. I haven't seen what they're planning on for the numbers. Mm -hmm. If anybody knows, please sound off in the comments below. I can't. I just can't do. Like, if it's like an eight book series, like, okay, all right, whatever. But I don't want to be reading book 20 of the Indominus Crusade because, guys, you're going to run out of material. Now that they've established that the dark... Here's my biggest fear. My biggest fear is that the Dark Imperium series will get exited stage left. They'll just be like, huh? The what? Oh! I don't know what you're talking about. Like, oh yeah, those. <laughs> Anyways, have you picked up book 12? I was it's just like thinking in my head, I was like, but the Indominus Crusade, they've already said that the Dark Imperium is now, they've changed it, so now it's, tw it's 12 years later. I was like, so they can't make 54 books out of 12 years, and then I remember the Horus Heresy seven years long. So. I'm excited that our next book is going to be a bit of a change of a pace. Um, we're going to actually delve have it, this one. Oh, good! Oh. Uh, it's a very pretty limited edition. It is the new Huron Blackheart book by Mike Brooks, um, Master of the Maelstrom. I lamented one day that Huron Blackheart is one of those characters I feel like appears in a lot of stuff. He appears in a lot of stuff, but we haven't actually really seen like a full-length book about him. And yes, this is a shorter book, which... After this beast, I could use an aperitif. <laughs> Maybe more stuff happens in this book, too. Hopefully. Um, it's also Mike Brooks. And Mike Brooks, thus far, has not led us very wrong. So, and dim red pages, though. <laughs> That's really all Jen cares about, is the red pages uh, and the Huron Blackheart written on the side of the book to say i knew huron blackheart was a lord of chaos obviously he shows up he's described as looking a little rough around the edges he's seen things yeah he's a he's a pretty boy get that man I... some zippers and a sword and he could be an anime hero <laughs> zippers and a sword the sword's gotta weigh as much as he does Obviously, and being at least six inches taller than he is. Well, yeah. And still hang on his back just fine. <laughs> Obviously. Um, yeah. So that'll be our next book. I'm excited for it. And be able um, to twirl it over his head with one hand, but then can't obviously. do a one-arm pull-up. <laughs> Pretty much. I'm I'm excited for it. Uh, chaos! Chaos. chaos and hopefully some stuff happens and there's also no expectations for stuff to really happen in this book because it's just a story about a guy it's not like filling in color to this crusade that we weren't really sure needed color filled into it right just saying i'm looking forward to it i am too 
You want to take us out, Carrie? Yes, I sure will. So you have listened to the Warhammer 40K Book Club episode regarding Throne of Light by Guy Haley. Enjoy my copy. It's right here. Please be sure to join us next time for Here on Blackheart by Mike Brooks. We are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those good things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crag. And I'm still all furious. Drew, you can see it again. Thanks. Very kind. Yeah. Good night, everybody. Everybody. of the Warhammer 40k book club was hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.